Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It's Thursday, and we are glad you're with us on the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool is ready for you, and Jim, we definitely have a good, and I think we might have two crazies, but there's, let's just say good, bad, and crazy. That's not often we have the usual format anymore, Uh, so buckle up. It's going to be a fun ride today. Let's start in Colorado. Uh, Jim, we know that uh, not only is the presidential race going to be uncertain this year, as it was four years ago, uh, but uh, the battle for control of the Senate is now more and more in the open. I mean, that's true of folks you talk to on both sides. And while Republicans expect to get the seat back in Alabama, uh, it's going to be tough to hold the McSally seat in Arizona. A lot of folks worried about Susan Collins in Maine. Uh, Tom Tillis is nip and tuck in North Carolina. And then, of course, out in Colorado, a lot of people think Cory Gardner uh, is not likely to be reelected. He's up against John Hickenlooper, who, of course, ran for president for about 12 minutes. And uh, according to the scant polling that's out there, Hickenlooper has a lead here. But Hickenlooper, first of all, has to win a primary, which he probably will. But uh, he's on the defensive, or at least was Tuesday night in his primary debate. And this is how the Free Beacon sums it up. Former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper characterized his conviction on ethics violations as Republican smear tactics during a primary debate Tuesday night. Hickenlooper was found guilty by the Colorado Independent Ethics Commission last Friday of twice accepting free luxury travel from business interests while he was governor. The five-member panel also voted unanimously to hold him in contempt for initially defying a subpoena to appear at the hearing. Hickenlooper's response, quote, these allegations were waged by a dark money Republican group, and they're going to lay attacks and millions of dollars of smear ads against whoever the Democratic candidate is. So I don't see a denial of the actual allegations in there at all, Jim, but uh, I don't know if this will have a significant impact. Colorado is certainly trending bluer, but uh, when the likely nominee has some... uh, serious baggage suddenly attached to him that that can't hurt Cory Gardner. You know, Greg, I'm surprised by this because John Hickenlooper always seemed like such a normal guy, whether it was taking his mom to deep throat or dressing up as a furry, as a giant blue bear. You know, I, my only hope when the, you know, Independent Ethics Commission, I love, it, I love when you say it's Republican smears. Well, it's called the Independent Ethics Commission. Nonpartisan organization. You know, these sorts of things really don't cut left, right. Uh, you know, either you either you violated the eth- state ethics rules or you didn't. It's not really, uh, you know, Republicans see it one way, but Democrats see it another. Hickenlooper, you know, they, they basically held the hearing. He refused to, to show up uh, by, you know, remote or by any other format. Uh, and then they, you know, said they're going to refer it to the state attorney general's office. Greg, I was really hoping for a Tommy Lee Jones and the Fugitive kind of speech. Uh, you know. <laughs> I want a hard target search of every outhouse, doghouse, you know, house in this area. Your, your fugitive's name is Governor John Hickenlooper. Go get him. Um, but sadly, that's not coming to the case. I, I talked to Republicans. They're, you know, really nervous about Cory Gardner. They really like Cory Gardner. Cory Gardner is arguably one of the best campaigners in the party. Knocked off an incumbent that a lot of people thought was was pretty safe in uh, 2014. Good year for Republicans. He had the wind at his back. He's probably not going to have the wind at his back this year, but who knows? And, you know, the state of Colorado has been drifting pretty blue lately. 
Trump is not an easy sell in that state. That's just kind of the way things are. Um, but there was some hope that Gardner might be able to rise above the, the rest of the party's reputation. He's been, you know, beating the drums of working for my constituents, emphasizing local issues, all those traditional maneuvers. And something like this is going to help. And again, it's also worth noting, you mentioned Hickenlooper is not through the primary. There are Democrats who see Hickenlooper as too much of a centrist squish for their tastes. Now, you know, you'd like to think that if you're the Democrats, Hickenlooper is going to vote with your party pretty much all the time. And you don't, you know, knocking off an incumbent is not easy, even in a state like Colorado, they'd go with it. But who knows, maybe the progressives in Colorado say, this isn't good enough. We feel really good about our odds in November. Let's go with one other candidate who's, you know, further to the left. Um, and that could very well shake things up. If Hickenlooper does win the nomination, my guess is that, you know, Gardner will go to town on this. And uh, who knows, in a close race, this might be enough to make a difference. His primary opponent is Andrew Romanoff, who is the Democratic Colorado House Speaker. And he, this is his quote from the debate. Pretty good, Jim. I, I assume he's behind by dozens and dozens of points in this primary. But nonetheless, he says, now when he, meaning Hickenlooper, breaks the law, he refuses to apologize, defies a subpoena. You heard John blame the Republicans. You heard him blame the staff. I suppose he even blames the Ethics Commission, which includes his own appointees who have ruled against him. So uh, at least it's fun to watch the Democrats kind of eat each other on this. And, you know, if it ends up costing Hickenlooper the Senate seat, at least he wins this year's Bob McDonald Award for ethics in the governor's role. <laughs> I hope he gets a Rolex out of it. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, speaking of questionable governors and failed presidential candidates, let's move over to Washington State for our bad martini. Definitely with plenty of crazy here, though. Jay Inslee, of course, uh, ran for president on the single issue of climate change. Not a lot of talk about climate change these days. But there wasn't a lot of talk about Jay Inslee during the presidential race either. But uh, he is, of course, like I said, governor of Washington. And as some folks are reporting, but not others, as we'll talk about in just a moment, Jay Inslee is pretending he doesn't know anything about this autonomous zone in the Capitol Hill neighborhood of Seattle, where basically Antifa has found these plastic construction barriers, walled off a few city blocks, and decided that it is separated from the United States of America. <laughs> As your good friend Cam Edwards said on Twitter, I think it was yesterday, um, how do these people get water or electricity or sewage? <laughs> Have they established diplomatic relations with the city of Seattle? Uh, so yesterday, uh, Inslee gets asked about what he thinks about this autonomous zone. And here's the incredible exchange. Governor, I'd like to ask you about uh, what's going on in Seattle. There's this... Uh thing called the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. What's your thought on that? The fact that the protesters have taken that over and not allowing people to come and go freely? And regarding the National Guard. Well, that's news to me, so I'll have to reserve any comment about it. I, I, have, not, I have not heard anything about that from any credible source. <laughs> not that you're not credible. It's just like before I espouse an opinion, I should know of which I speak. Casey mentioned right. a follow-up. Yeah, as far as the National Guard, uh, how long are you going to keep them there? And would, if there is a, a takeover of a street in Seattle where they're barricading and keeping people out, the protesters are, would you want the to be involved? Uh, you know, that's a hypothetical. Look, at, we've got to have safety. I'm sure that people will find a way to have public safety everywhere in, in the state. I'm confident of that. Uh, the, the National Guard is demobilizing over two-thirds of them were demobilized of yesterday. I don't know if they're completely demobilized at this point or not, but if not, that'll be shortly, I believe. 
So Jim Inslee is actually claiming he doesn't even know what the question is about. Uh, Tom Bevan of Real Clear Politics on Twitter yesterday says, if a bunch of MAGAs took over a section of Seattle and declared their independence, the media would lose their marbles. And you know, Jay Inslee would be preening in front of the cameras declaring a statewide emergency instead of pretending he knew nothing about it. And he also points out that every of uh, the big three network newscasts last night didn't even mention the autonomous zone. So what do you make of uh, Jay Inslee uh, pretending he has no idea what's going on here? Let's first observe that if uh, a group of MAGA heads had taken over a chunk of Seattle, much like they had attacked actors on the streets of Chicago, as they're notorious for doing, <laughs> uh, the, I, I have no doubt Governor Jay Inslee would, you know, never mind declaring a state of emergency or anything. Greg, he would be putting face paint and a big red bandana on and like, you know, calling up on the walkie-talkie like Rambo, say, <laughs> MAGA heads, I'm your worst nightmare, leading the liberation of, of those city blocks from those extremists. Um, yeah, so apparently we have this group that's decided they don't want to be part of America anymore. They don't want to be part of the city anymore. They have decided that they will use armed violent force to declare that they are no longer subject to the laws of the city the county, the state, or the rest of the country. They are, honest to goodness, secessionist. Uh, Greg, Clive Bundy could not be reached for comment uh, <laughs> about whether there was a double standard in how these groups were being treated. Um, th yeah, there's a lot of this is tongue in cheek, but okay, let's face it. All right, so let's, let's assume we've got somebody who's decided to play Bane uh, and he wants to cut off a portion of the city and, and make it... Uh, uh, rule of the mob or rule of the toughest gang. And some of the stories coming out of this are pretty darn ominous. Um, and so the question is, all right, so what do you want to do about it? First of all, you have to have a city authority. You have to have city authorities who want to take back that territory. And you need to have a state authority who will be pay attention to it. Uh, now, I know Republicans on Capitol Hill often get a lot of grief because, you know, Trump will tweet something crazy. And Republican senators will be like, oh, I didn't hear about that. Oh, I haven't read it. I just, oh, I couldn't tell you. I, I, I have no comment. I have no idea what's going on. I, I, I just got struck blind. I'm deaf. Where am I? Who am I? Why am I here? I'm, uh, you know, uh, all, all of those types of responses. But in this case, if you're the governor and armed group has taken over a chunk of your city and like, oh, I haven't heard anything about it. I don't know what's going on. It's pretty, uh, pretty revealing. I do think, and you, know, you mentioned the, the water, the electricity, things like that. This is a situation that probably could resolve itself pretty quickly and pretty easily. Uh, you just need, you know, patience and a good observation. Because look, this is not a particularly large portion of Seattle. And as far as I can tell, Greg, from the coverage of this, and Lord knows there's not a lot of mainstream media coverage of this, but this, uh, the newly formed autonomous zone doesn't really produce anything. Certainly doesn't produce its own electricity, doesn't produce its own water, things like that. So, and also like at these checkpoints, it appears that the group that has taken control of this portion of the city does not want interaction. They, they are patrolling their own borders. Uh, in fact, I, I believe in some of those intersections, uh, Greg, they're building a wall. Yes, they are. Uh, the other thing is I believe the, the gang leader or the guy who's decided he's in charge believes this portion of Seattle now belongs to the People's Force. It is a replacement for the Seattle Police Department on you know, this neighborhood of Capitol Hill. In June 8th, in a video, he advised that unfamiliar faces within this community should be stopped, questioned, and checked to see if they're armed. <laughs> you can kind of characterize it as stop and frisk, I suppose. I, I don't think that Mike Bloomberg has sent him a, a grant yet, but uh, yeah, let's observe that, you know, meet the new boss, doing the same things as the old boss. Look, 
we're, you know, if you have this sealed off community uh, and they themselves have chosen to seal themselves off and they have no ability to produce their own food, they have no ability to produce their own water, own electricity, all that kind of stuff. What is going to keep them going after the supplies run out? So as long as anybody who doesn't want to be there is allowed to leave, then let them leave. Let these people sit there. And it'll probably be kind of like the um, Occupy Wall Street protests that turned into uh, uh, absolute chaos. As most of these people who are anarchists and, and probably a little touched in the head and, and you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, you know, they're not going to uh, be able to run themselves. They're not going to function. Within a couple of days, they'll, they'll get hungry and they'll realize, oh, wait, this isn't working out so much. So um, short version, because I saw a bunch of people like, this is outrageous, sending the cops, you know. Um, I, I would note, uh, uh, Greg, there's really no need to branch Davidia in these guys. Uh, all in all, in these situations, when they, once people realize what actually being independent and cut off from the rest of the world means, all of a sudden, after a couple of days, they get hungry and they realize this doesn't, this, this, this is a lot harder than it looks when they, from when they started. I think these guys can be talked down without any further bloodshed. Um, which would be the ideal end result of this. Greg, it could even be sort of a learning experience for everyone involved. <laughs> like, oh, maybe you do need police after all. Yeah, there's a couple different things here. First of all, uh, some of these people who took over the city hall the other day, I don't know that they're necessarily connected to the people in the autonomous zone, but uh, they've got their amazing list of demands. And by the way, when they say defund the police, they mean it. Uh, they say, quote, the Seattle Police Department and attached court system are beyond reform we do not request reform. We demand abolition. This means 100% of funding, including existing pensions for Seattle police. Uh, they also uh, want to radically reform the criminal justice system. Uh, at one point, I think they, they want uh, all people of color retried by people in their communities. And uh, they also want free public housing. So basically, it's a communist manifesto inside Seattle. But as you mentioned, Jim, things not necessarily going well there. There was a tweet the other day where someone said, the homeless people we invited took away all the food at the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. This is, this is so on, on message. We need more food to keep the area operational. Please, if possible, bring vegan meat substitutes, fruits, oats, soy products, etc. anything to help us eat. So, I mean, these people, this is worse thought out than the barricade in Les Mis. <laughs> I kind of want to think about, like, what if you show up with a whole bunch of, like, barbecued beef, pork, processed foods, all the stuff they say they don't want. At some point, will they get hungry enough to start eating it or will they eat each other first? Um, hopefully it doesn't turn to cannibalism or something like that. But that old saying of beggars can't be choosers will be, be kind of interesting. Again, these folks haven't thought this through. It's going to fall apart on its own. If you can get everybody to realize this was not a good idea without blood, bloodshed, without violence, that'd be preferable. We'll see how things go. The observation, I, I believe you mentioned you're going through the list of demands. And I think one of them was they wanted to have, in addition to the abolition of police and retrials, the abolition of imprisonment, generally speaking. Yes. I mean, so really, I guess if you kill someone, they might put a really hefty fine. But otherwise, yeah, we're not really going to have, we don't really do prisons here. So yes, by the end of the week, uh, we'll see if this thing still exists. Portland, apparently folks in Portland are trying to create their own autonomous zone. We'll see if the, the cops let that happen. They seem to let Antifa pretty much do whatever they want there. So I will You know, right now there are Seattleites who are saying, ha, Portland's doing one. Portland's going to create one, but it's going to be smaller and not as good. That Northwestern city uh, <laughs> rivalry there. Exactly. All right. Well, good Portland luck. will say, hey, we got, a, we got an NBA team. What do you guys got? But anyway, carry on. <laughs> 
Good luck, people in Seattle. Businesses in Seattle. Wow. All right, let's go to our crazy martini now, Jim. Mentioned in passing yesterday that after 33 seasons, the TV show Cops, you know, bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? Uh, it's going to be canceled now. Started on Fox, ran on Fox for many years. Then it was on, I guess it was Spike, and then Spike became Paramount. But now with everything that's going on with criticism of police and uh, police brutality, uh, they're not going to have it. A&E, which ran live PD, hosted by Dan Abrams and kind of bounced around to different patrols during the night. I, it was technically live, but I think it may have been slightly taped later, at least certain sections if it was starting to get a little dicey. But uh, it was very well received. And they also had things on there like missing children reports, which were obviously uh, very helpful. But now that's been canceled as well. And now, Jim, it's gone to the next level. It's time, apparently, to get rid of Paw Patrol. Yes, the Nickelodeon cartoon. Paw Patrol has been the subject now of a New York Times opinion piece because, of course, they can't have anything that would uh, go against the wokeness of the newsroom now. I've also seen a medium piece on this where it just goes off the rails. So basically, if you haven't seen Paw Patrol, there are dogs. Big surprise. And they're all connected with this kid named Ryder. And there's one who's kind of a cop. His name is Chase. Marshall's the Dalmatian. He's the fire dog. Uh, there's one who's kind of in construction. I think his name's Rubble. There's one that's green and has the recycling logo even. And then there's a girl named Sky. And then there's uh, another girl named Everest who appears every once in a while. My daughter's like this show. And so, Jim, because Chase, the police dog, is kind of the leader of this group, uh, this is a problem. Because over at the Times, Amanda Hess has written this, and she says that in the world of Paw Patrol, Chase is drawn to be a very good boy who barks stuff like Chase is on the case and all in a police pup's day as he rescues kittens in his tricked-out SUV. Uh, but then, of course, it's a problem because the cops, the police dog, is presented in a positive light. And so you've got people on Twitter saying, euthanize the police dog, defund the Paw Patrol, all dogs go to heaven except the class traitors in the Paw Patrol. And so then uh, some of these other things go into the, the townspeople are helpless. First responders are privatized. And so this is some sort of uh, conservative utopia here. In fact, a few months ago, folks were already upset about Paw Patrol being too conservative. So, Jim, we're talking about Nick Jr. here and uh, more people going off the rails. What do you think? Uh, yeah, first of all, attention, woke crowds. You will get... Richard Scarry's Sergeant Murphy of Busytown from my cold, dead hands <laughs> when it comes to heroic police dogs. Let's also point out these are anthropomorphic police dogs. Um, yeah, I, in today's morning jolt, I observed, like we're, we're having a lot of conversations at once and a bunch of idiot woke activists are making it kind of impossible to have any serious conversation. Um, the, the cancellation of cops... Last week I'd written, you know, that every time you heard the words, cops is filmed on the, with the men and women of America's law enforcement. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty into a court of law. There was this idea that this was glamorizing the police. And I, I suppose, like, look, the police departments generally got editing uh, privileges. They, uh, they, you know, certainly wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't cooperate if they thought the program was going to make them look bad. Um, but I also, I mean, my argument had been, that I actually think cops would you know, made a rather bleak portrait of police life because they were constantly felt like they were getting called for domestic disturbances and uh, very tense situations where people who had all kinds of problems beyond the immediate law breaking, poverty, addiction, unemployment, maybe mental health issues. Um, 
I don't think it romanticized police work. I don't think it glamorized it. I think, you know, it probably created a portrait that certain people would be attracted to, but I think a lot of people looked at it and said, oh, well, thank goodness they're on the job because I would want nothing to do with that world. Um, but that's got to go. Live PD has got to go. Um, now, I think, you know, let's think about what we're witnessing here. The argument is, is that police brutality is enabled by programs that put cameras in police cruisers. I remember cameras and police cruisers and body cams were supposed to be part of the, uh, we're supposed to alleviate this problem. That if we had video records of what happened, this would reduce police violence. This would reduce false charges against the police and all that stuff. Apparently it's not enough. Back to the, you know, the issue of children's programming and such. This is inherently ridiculous. The idea that somehow police brutality is enabled by computer generated images of happy talking dogs is, is absurd. And for, if you, let's say you want to have a discussion of should we have U.S. military bases that are named after Confederate generals? I didn't know that Fort Hood and Fort Bragg were named after Confederate generals. I, I, you know, I think most Americans didn't know. I think we can have that discussion. I think it's an interesting argument to say, well, there are other, many other American heroes of the military we can honor with this. I think if, they're having, if you're establishing a new military base, you wouldn't name it after a Confederate you know, figure now. Attitudes have changed. And they say, okay, let's think about this. Maybe we should have this conversation. But we can't have that conversation when some people, maybe it's the same people or maybe simply people who are allied with this movement are also saying, and Paw Patrol has got to go too. No, 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 you can't. <laughs> you need to sort through these issues. You need to t separate out the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. The serious proposals, the ones that actually talk about who we are as a people and the ones that people are just raging. And we've been thinking about that, you know, newspaper down in Raleigh where, you know, she's like, we're a progressive newspaper and they trashed our offices. Yes, the mob doesn't care. The mob doesn't care between a program that genuinely glamorized police violence, although I don't think there are too many of them. I think maybe you can cringe when Murtaugh and Riggs decide to pull their guns on a jaywalker back in Lethal Weapon 3. I think in today's context, that doesn't seem a little, uh, the idea of a crazy cop who's, you know, loose cannon and who could, you know, kill anybody at any time, well, maybe that doesn't feel quite so reassuring. Uh, maybe not quite so entertaining in today's context. You know, that, that we can re discuss these sorts of things, but I don't think, but once people start saying that, you know, the idea that children's cartoons are the root of the problem or something, then they, they demonstrate that they're nuts and people tune them out. And any legitimate proposal that's going on in the conversation of race and the police and our historical legacy and how we see these things gets lost in all that stuff. So the Paw Patrol folks have done a lot of damage to their cause, but uh, I don't think you'll see too many people on the left having the courage to say, no, that's ridiculous. Stop talking about that. The grown-ups have real issues they want to discuss. Ah, because private enterprise helps people and maybe it does a better job than the government. And uh, oftentimes they're saving the mayor from some sort of precarious situation, Jim. So I guess that's just leaving the wrong message. When I was a kid, you know, people were encouraged uh, to uh, look up to cops and firefighters and so forth. So uh, apparently not. not if these folks have a problem with Paw Patrol, have they seen Thomas the Tank Engine? <laughs> that's a straight up capitalism propaganda right there. Ah, oh, well, absolutely. You know, my wife thinks I'm crazy about some of the things I, I would used to say about Mickey Mouse Clubhouse when the kids watched that, because it seemed like everything you would need in a society, they just happened to have there in Mickey Park. It's almost like Mickey was some sort of uh, dictator, really uh, being uh, portrayed as some sort of benevolent friend to everyone. So the more I tried to unpack it, the more I got looks like I was insane, which is exactly the looks that these Paw Patrol people should get. We are helpful to everybody, except for who comes in and tries to hurt us. That's what the C2U unit is for. <laughs> Go waterboard him, Goofy. 
Can you tell, listeners, can you tell I love Disney CTU? We would like to, you know, as regularly on this program is also cut into, you know, uh, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, the, the counterterrorism unit issue. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, when 24 stopped running uh, after season eight or whatever it was, they should have just gone straight to Disney CTU. It would have been absolute classic. But You got uh, to get the kids early, you know, teach them the right lessons. Culture <laughs> works. You know, if, if a guy won't talk, don't shoot him in the knee. Shoot his wife in the knee. These are the, these are the lessons kids need. The Media Matters uh, intern who listens to us just, just had his head explode right there. <laughs> On that note, Jim, let's get out of here before we get in more trouble. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review with five stars. And you can get us on those government surveillance devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And tomorrow's Friday. See you then on the Three Martini Lunch.